the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. One of the exciting yet challenging aspects of being a parent is deciding when to teach your children about certain issues. Things like life and death, things like politics, things like the evil in the world, or where do babies come from. It's not just a matter of discernment and wisdom on your part, but it's also a matter of the child's intellectual and emotional ability to handle those things, to comprehend those things and to respond rightly. So, for much of their childhood, these untaught realities remain a mystery. They are hidden. You know them, but you keep them a secret until just the right time. Really, this principle can be said to be true of anyone in authority. The boss, for example, doesn't fill in his employees on every nuance of running a business. He doesn't share with them all of the financial ins and outs, the political maneuvering to get their job done. The judge doesn't reveal to every lawyer that comes across his bench all that's going on in his mind or behind closed doors. And in the same way, our God, the God, kept his wisdom hidden from man for centuries after creation, until the time was right to reveal the gospel truth. And like that child, the truth was completely misunderstood, it was inappropriately pursued, or even completely ignored. And God revealed it, ultimately, at the perfect time, and now those who know him know it. It's called a mystery in our passage this morning. And would you turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. As we continue our study in 1 Corinthians, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. Listen as I read. Paul writes, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Again, that was 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. 
And in these four verses, we will be finding four reasons that the wisdom of God is a mystery. Four reasons the wisdom of God is a mystery. Now, I'm going to elaborate on this more in point number two. But when we say mystery, or when Paul says mystery, he doesn't mean something that's strange or mysterious, but something that is or was hidden. Well, the first reason the wisdom of God is a mystery is the comprehension of God's wisdom. The comprehension of God's wisdom. How or by whom it is or was comprehended. Look again at verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. In verses 1 through 5 that we unpacked a couple of weeks ago, Paul spoke of his ministry of proclaiming the gospel, which he refers to here as the wisdom of God. And he emphasized that he in his humanity and even in his own human wisdom, he emphasized his weakness, his weakness specifically in the task which highlights the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, because he is so weak, And because the job or the ministry is so powerful, so unique, that his weakness and inability, his insufficiency to do the task, just shows that it is the Holy Spirit who is doing the work through the Apostle Paul. And not only that, it highlights, emphasizes that it is the Holy Spirit who is doing the work. In other words, Paul has been arguing that the gospel does not rely on human wisdom, but is in fact contrary to it. Likewise, Paul then doesn't rely on human methods or human wisdom to convince people of the truth. And remember the historical context. This is a time of great Greek philosophers and Roman orators and politicians, and so they would use their eloquence to convince people that what they were saying was true, to side with them, to vote for them, to do whatever. But because we don't need to do that, because it's not a matter of convincing, Paul says he didn't use those that type of rhetoric or he didn't use the tools of humanity. He just let the Holy Spirit do his thing. Now we come to verse 6, and he starts with the word yet to indicate a turn in his argument. Specifically, though he doesn't utilize the wisdom of men in how he presents the wisdom of God, as he says in verses 1 through 5, he does speak the wisdom of God. And his audience, he says in verse 6, are the mature. You have to understand that within the context we know that this word mature is not speaking of those who are more advanced in their spiritual walk, who are more mature than what we would call baby Christians, but the mature refers to all true believers. Later in chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul will speak of those who are infants in Christ. In that context, he is making a distinction between believers who are more mature in their faith, and true believers who are less mature. And this has led some to believe that back here in chapter 2, the word mature is referring to that same thing, this levels of maturity among true believers. However, remember that context is king, 
And though chapter 3 is within the context of the wider epistle or letter, the immediate context, specifically the verses directly preceding and in this same flow of thought in chapter 2, shows us that Paul is talking about all believers. And so here, when he says he speaks the wisdom of God to the mature, he's talking to Christians, regardless of how long they've been a Christian, regardless of how spiritually mature they may be. Now, the wisdom that is spoken to believers is, and I quote, a wisdom not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. And we just saw this in Psalm 146, that the rulers are passing away. The word age refers to the course and current of the affairs of this world. It, it talks about uh, an epoch, uh, a time in history, okay? And not just the, the dates of that time, not just the age as we would put them on a timeline, but all the all the beliefs and the cultural norms that that specific period of history and that place in history, I should add, entails. So everything, when he uses the word age, it refers to everything from the cultural norms to technological advances, whatever they may have been at that time, from fashion trends to modern slang, from political issues to society's status quo. All of it is merely of that specific age, a unique time period and historical age. Now, of course, Paul living in a specific time when he says this age is referring to that specific age that he and the Corinthians were living in. So we know throughout history and even in our lifetimes, things change. And Paul's words apply not just to the Corinthian age, but to all periods of history. And here's the point. The wisdom of God, the wisdom which Paul preaches, is not just for one particular time period. It is timeless truth for all mankind from the minute he penned these words until the end of days and on the broader scope, God's wisdom was from even before time began. And although Paul is referring to his own preaching here when he says he speaks the wisdom of God, this principle applies to all Christians when we speak the gospel truth. The wisdom of men, Paul says, can never accomplish eternal life or bring true peace and prosperity to this world. If it could, it would be the responsibility of the world leaders, the world rulers. And yet here Paul references the rulers of this age, specifically saying that the leaders throughout humanity who have done great things from a human perspective, they have ended wars, they have created and stimulated economies, they have saved millions of lives. Yet Paul is saying all of this pales in comparison to the wisdom of the eternal king. What's more, these rulers, along with their philosophies and policies, are all passing away because they help and pertain only to the things that are fleeting 
only to the things that are temporary. So, Paul says that they are all passing away. And that's the thing about the wisdom of the world. It's passing away. This phrase in the Greek literally means to put out of commission, to make idle, to remove from power. They are becoming insignificant. Even at the height of their influence, these human rulers, they are in the process of being reduced to nothing. This is a continuous and unstoppable reality of life. The ESV says the rulers are doomed to pass away. The NIV says they are coming to nothing. And as things constantly change in society, even in the fields of science and history, so they show their fleeting and passing nature. COVID-19. Why does it still exist? Haven't we had medical science for hundreds of years? Has anyone at Stanford University or Johns Hopkins tried bloodletting? An enema? A shot of whiskey? Because that's what they did a few decades ago. No, because science and medicine has shown that those things are ridiculous. They don't, click, they don't cure all diseases. And so there are people who are using tools that didn't even exist at the time of bloodletting and using whiskey to cure diseases. They're using tools to look at things that people back then didn't even know exist on the molecular level. So things are changing even in science. But God's truth, God's wisdom, stands the test of time. It's a truth, after all, of an unchanging and sovereign God. His truth never changes. Think about something someone has said. And even though what he says may be true for his circumstances or your circumstances, the ball is red. You still can't trust everything that person says, not necessarily because they're a liar, but because they're growing, they're developing, they're experiencing new things that may change what they believe, and how they perceive the world. And though the ball indeed is red, that ball may fade and become pink or brown, or may pop and not be a ball at all. And even if that ball remains red for the duration of his life and your life, you can't trust everything else he says. You can't believe all of his views and perspectives on life and just throw away your views and perspective because he is subject to change. He is imperfect. And so God's truth does not change and it can be relied upon, not just because of the truth itself, but because of what backs up who has spoken and who holds together that truth, God, very God, is also unchanging. His opinions are not opinions, they are truth. 
His emotions that he has are not subjective and, and based on circumstances and sub, uh, subject to flare-ups like ours are or, or deep depressions. And we sit there and going, I don't know why I'm angry. I don't know why I'm sad. I just feel this way. He doesn't have that. He doesn't do that. He is perfect. In fact, as you go through the range of emotions throughout your day, what a perfect reminder of our own weakness and sinfulness and the perfection of God. When you read about God's anger, you know that it is perfect anger. It is justified anger. When you read about Jesus weeping, you know it's not just a, a, a blind emotion where people look at the circumstances and say, why are you crying about that? That makes no sense. But it is based on truth and fact. It is perfect. And so we know that in the midst of this changing world, there is someone and a truth that that someone has spoken, which incidentally has changed the world forever, can be relied upon and is never changing. Even uh, think about uh, the, the Easter weekend, right? Good Friday the crucifixion, the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday, even in the specific context of the wisdom of God being called the crucifixion of Christ, right? We looked at that earlier on as we started studying the wisdom of God. We know that the truth of the gospel, which is pinnacled in the crucifixion, this is wisdom that does not belong to the passing age of fleeting things, but to the eternal God. And if you go back 2,000 years ago, even within a time span of a few short hours, those who physically crucified Jesus Christ, who were doing what was, and get this, they were doing what was right and good according to the wisdom of the age, according to the rulers of their age, at the end of the crucifixion, they understood what they did was wrong. Just a few hours later, not years later, not even days later when he was resurrected. No, at the moment of his death, still in the process of crucifixion, because his body still hung on the cross. While he was being crucified, they realized to a certain degree God's truth. Matthew 27, verse 54. Now the centurion and those who are with him keeping guard over Jesus. So they're watching him to make sure no one prematurely takes him off the cross. When they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Luke 23, verses 47 and 48. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God. Part of the team that killed Jesus began praising God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts in guilt and understanding of what had just happened. Until that time, in fact, probably just seconds earlier, what their human and cultural wisdom dictated was that Jesus was a bad man worthy of crucifixion. In the same way, the wisdom of man 
the wisdom of man can be and is comprehended by anyone. But God's wisdom is a mystery because it can only be comprehended by some. And that's why our first point explaining why God's wisdom is a mystery is entitled the comprehension. Because what Paul is doing here in verse 6 is making this comparison between the many who understand man's wisdom, which is everyone, versus the select who understand God's wisdom. And it shows that God's wisdom is indeed a mystery. It is hidden. Point number two. The second reason the wisdom of God is a mystery. The communication of God's wisdom. The communication of God's wisdom. Look again at verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Now here I want to clarify the word uh, mystery. Again, it's not something mysterious. It's not something strange or puzzling. The word refers to something that is hidden, that is kept a secret. And in regards to this particular wisdom, was only revealed or communicated at a specific time. So if you have the ESV or NIV, it says the secret or hidden wisdom, uh, because in those translations, they, they chose to change the word from the Greek because in English, the word mystery can uh, mean different things. But here, technically, it means hidden, kept secret. So there's two aspects of the communication or revelation of God's wisdom. First, in verse 7, Paul is talking about the communication that he does, him speaking the wisdom, but only because, secondly, God chose to reveal or communicate that wisdom to him and the other apostles. Now, the word mystery or secret hidden defines or modifies the nature of the wisdom of God. Here's what this means. It's not something you or any other person can discover on their own, but is something you can grasp if it is revealed to you. In other words, it's a mystery because it can only be known through God's revelation. It's a mystery because it can only be known through God's revelation. And we know that when the time was right, God chose the apostles to communicate this mystery. Now, it is no longer a secret, but has been revealed to us by God through his word. And the time that God has chosen to reveal his truth, the gospel, has passed. That was 2,000 years ago. Paul reminds us in the second part of the verse that not only is this God's wisdom, but as such, God has total control over it. Before it was revealed and before the events contained within that wisdom, the gospel actually took place in the life and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God had predestined this wisdom, not just for our salvation, but for the entirety of salvation, which culminates with our glorification. The wisdom of God is the gospel, but the full scope of the eternal results of those believing in the gospel 
was what God has in mind. And note, although the truths have been revealed, they are still impenetrable to the human intellect. In other words, though you can read it in the Bible, you can read it in gospel tracts, you still can't come to a realization of the gospel through human intellect. You can't find a way to God through human wisdom. It is still a work of the Holy Spirit for any man to comprehend, let alone accept, the gospel message. And so, the communication day by day today in the hearts of men is not just because God has revealed it in his word, but also their comprehension of it, their accepting of the gospel, can only be done through the revelation of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. So those who do not know him are still in the dark, though it has been opened and made accessible through the word to the entirety of mankind, it is still a work of the Holy Spirit. And with this, we are reminded. We are reminded of grace. We are reminded that we did not earn our salvation. We are reminded that anything good in our lives, because anything good in our lives is related to the gospel, is of the Lord. The Holy Spirit did it. He chose to reveal it to us at the perfect time, after he revealed it to mankind. And then, at the moment of your salvation, he opened up your heart, your mind, your ears, your eyes, so that you would accept the truth, that you would embrace him as Lord and Savior and repent of your sins. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information, or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Rogers' teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.